Welcome to Business Mentorship, Keeping It Real. Panel discussions with guests who have shared their business stories in our guest blog and join us on topics trending in business. Today's episode is mentorship and the power of sharing our stories. As an author and speaker on mentorship, I found that we're looking for ways to make a human connection with our colleagues, teams, and communities, creating opportunities to not only get to know one another, but share life experiences to help support each other. Our guests today not only believe in the concept of mentorship, but are pillars in their communities, leading by example with many years of business experience through not only their example, but storytelling. And I'd like to introduce you to our guests. First is Lynn McLaughlin, an educator, best-selling author, and podcast host from Kingsville, Ontario. Priya Mohan, who's a clothing designer and manufacturer, philanthropist, and retailer from Hamilton, Ontario. Demetria Cook, who's a best-selling author, a playwright, and speaker from Los Angeles, California. And John Williams, an international award-winning residential architect and author from Burlington, Ontario. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listen, it's such a pleasure to see you all because I know that you really are pillars in your community. So I'm going to ask you some questions that maybe you can share with our viewing and listening audience just to give you an, an indication as to how important mentorship has really become, I think, in our societies. And why don't we start with Demetria? So as an author and playwright, you know, we sort of have, we live our experience through storytelling. How important do you think is sharing stories with others in a global economy? You know, that's a really great question, Trish, because, you know, our lives, every single person's life affects another person's life, right? Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, I think of, you know, we call it the ripple effect. So what happens with me has this profound effect on people that are like in my neighborhood, people in my community, people that are in the city, then the state, then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it goes all the way through, you know, the global world right here. Right. And so when I am sharing my story or bits and pieces and parts of my story, it will resonate with other people. And mm -hmm. so as it starts to resonate with others, then it becomes it gets bigger and we start to see that we're all, you know, there are more similarities between us than there are differences between us. And so the things that are happening to, you know, the things that I'm doing, things that are going on in my life, things, my stories, my history, my past are just as relevant to someone who is on another continent, mm -hmm. right? Someone who's in another country because we're living these experiences every day. And so, my experience may not necessarily be the exact same experience, right? Because I'm an individual person, but there is, there are others out there who have similar stories. There are others out there that can relate to the story because they've been affected by that story. And so what's happening with me in terms of, um, you know, my writing and telling stories, I always let people know that we have to leave a legacy, Right. Because that history is so important. And if we forget our history, then, you know, what are we basing our current lives upon? You know, we have to be able to learn and grow, make those mistakes and then continue to move forward. And so that impact on a global economy is that we really need to start understanding how we affect not just the person next to us or our, the 
immediacy around us, but those that are, you know, global, you know, what's happening globally. You know, that's such a good point because here we are, we're from all different parts of the world, right? We're, we're joined in this network. We share so much on social media, right? I right. mean, it doesn't matter where we live. Um, you end up really making connections with people that you would never have had an opportunity to meet without this sort of global platform. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, Priya, it, it, what I really love about your story now, I mean, I, I have the privilege of knowing uh, Priya and having gone to her retail store, and I actually own some of these wonderful shawls that she makes. So I'm just going to give the, the viewing and listening audience a little bit of your background. So your business model is all about sustainability. Because what Priya does is she has this army of sewers in India, and she takes saris and re gives them a new life. She sort of redesigns them, they manufacture them, they ship them over to Canada, and then we all have an opportunity to enjoy them. So when you're recycling those garments that have a cultural history for a modern customer, do you think that you've created a market niche that supports, supports creativity locally? Because, you know, when you think your, your merchandise is coming halfway across the world from India to Canada, and now you're selling the product globally. Um, so do you find that your example helps to encourage creativity in other people in other cultures? Well, Trish, that is a lot to unpack. That's a, that's a good big question. Um, so first of all, I uh, would like to thank you on behalf of the little family of sewers in India for calling them an army because I feel like they work like an army. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it is just a small family business that I work with because everything that we do is so small batch. Um, actually, you know, I was, I was thinking about, so there's so many areas that I could talk about and how we've created community and creativity with Sorry Not Sorry. Um, so first I'll deal with the creativity, but then I really would like to focus on the idea of community. So um, in terms of creativity, I think as women, as, as people, as artists, that that little inner child within us, we all want to express that level of creativity to, to play again. And there's not a lot of room for us to play in our everyday lives. And so this brand was created with the idea that uh, to connect you back to yourself, the fabrics are very tactile. You feel them. You drape yourself in them. You flow through a room in them. Um, they really do connect to that inner child that wants to play, that wants to be creative and, uh, you know, tie things in different ways and go, oh, I found a new way to wear this. So, yes, I do believe we are taking fabrics from another country and bringing them here and allowing them to be part of a new environment's set of creativity, even how to figure out how to wear something silk in the winter. That takes creativity. For sure. <laughs> so, so we're definitely doing that. And because each piece is one of a kind, we are also allowing people to express their own creativity. They're not limited by, you know, a store that you go into that picked the colors two years ago and is only selling mustard and olive. And you're like, I'm not a mustard and olive person. So there's no room for my creativity here. I need to find the colors that bring me joy, which we can do in our environment um, with working with so many different upcycled fabrics and saris. But I think in terms of community, what I've discovered the most about um, Sorry Not Sorry and what has led to some mentorship as well is that there seems to be a type of customer that is interested in supporting our sustainable movement. And I think because it has that artistic element, um, 
it tends to be somebody who is creative and unafraid to be themselves and someone who's unafraid to change the world. So when you have those three characteristics shared by thousands of people, um, you create a community. And uh, what's ended up happening, because I meet people like you, I meet authors, I meet game changers who also happen to wear the clothes. I've created a, or it's actually funny, during COVID, I came up with the name. I knew it was going to be called Soup because it had to be something where there was enough for everybody, where you could throw anything in it, where it was going to be warm and nurturing and comfort comforting. And then I, I put it out to my customers. I'm like, we're going to have a group. It's going to be called Soup. I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> and uh, they came back in and said, it should mean social organization of uplifting people. Whoa. And I'm like, yes, that is Whoa. exactly what Soup is. I love it. So, um, and there was no real platform to create it on. And then Instagram came up with its community groups just in January. I created the Soup group and everybody is joining in. Um, who's passionate about the philosophy behind the brand of making change, of expressing yourself, of finding your voice, of allowing creativity. And so we have this community now. And I feel like within this group, as they share things like, you know, send me a picture of what's outside your window. What's your weather like today? Very innocent, soup-like safe questions. Um, they are meeting each other and forging these connections and in effect networking in a very authentic way. Mm -hmm. um, so we're getting and, and, you know, and connecting with me and saying, I want to do a fundraiser. What can we do together? I, you know, I have a vision for stopping child trafficking. Can you help me figure out how we're going to do this? Um, so I feel like it really has become a platform, not just for selling clothing, which I mean, that's lovely too, uh, but for connecting like-minded individuals who want to see change um, and who embrace that in every part of their lives. So I, I, I hope that I answered your question. Yes, and you know what's really interesting is all of those folks are mentoring each other. Yes, they really are. Right? They really are. And I mean, you know, back to Demetria, I mean, you know, sharing our stories is the way in which we make connections with other people, right? It yes. transcends all the boundaries. It gives us an opportunity to say, this is me. And if I can do it, you can do it. Yes, so it's uplifting absolutely. for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So now Demetria is a playwright. You know, when you hear Priya's story, and because I'm blown away by soup, I mean, my gosh, I, I can't even wrap my head around that right now. <laughs> but I mean, so here you are as a storyteller and a playwright, and you hear this awesome story from Priya about soup. What goes through your mind in terms of that mentor-mentee sort of concept? I love that uh, Priya has created this community. And so she has started out where she is that mentor and then everyone in her group are the mentees. And so, and then they become mentors and mentees right. themselves to one mm -hmm. another. And mm -hmm. with you being able to share your story, share your brand, share what you're doing, that's giving other people, you know, license, no pun intended, mm -hmm. to yeah. actually create you know, what can I do with trafficking, you know, women trafficking, child trafficking, et cetera. So you're actually uh, allowing people to share their stories and then tell their stories in the form that they feel comfortable doing. Yeah. And so you've set yourself as this mentor and allowing people to really come to you and to embrace what it is that you're doing. And from a playwriting standpoint of view or from a writing standpoint of view, when I envision that, if I were to write, you know, your story about what you're doing, it would, you know, that first act of that play 
is going to be about how you started, right? You know, where the mm -hmm. fabrics, how you came up with the fabrics and how you built this business on your own. Then that midway point is going to be about that soup idea, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the last, the third act is going to be about how that mentorship has turned into all these different um, uh, accessibility ways that is impacting the world globally. So we mm -hmm. would see that transformation of you and then your vision and then how it's impacting others. Pulling it all together. Yeah. I knew you'd be able to yes, story weave the, weave the story, Demetria, to sort of <laughs> all make sense. I'm going to move over to John. And uh, as an architect uh, who's been in business for 50 years, you've been mentoring students who are going, trying to find their own market niche and who are perhaps, you know, in their early 20s and they're perhaps getting their master's or finishing their BA in architecture. So, you know, with someone who's been in business for 50 years, uh, mentoring someone who's just starting out in the career, do you find that the time that you spend together is symbiotic? Absolutely. Um, it's rather odd, Dimitri mentioned the importance of history um, and knowing your past before you move well into the future. Uh, unfortunately, architects, um, don't really start to get talented until, unless they're a Frank Lloyd Wright or somebody of that quality, don't really get talented until they've made a lot of mistakes. And mm -hmm. those mistakes take a lot of years. Mm -hmm. The exciting thing about young people coming in that um, I get to mentor is they have this excitement to them that after 50 years of practice, I've, I think some days I've lost. And so they bring to the, the meeting this symbiotic relationship of I'm teaching them things or they're learning things from me that they don't learn at school. And of course, I'm getting this revitalization. It's like getting a special shot in the arm of juice that gets you going again. And uh, so the symbiotic relationship is very important. Um, I think the importance of um, the Institute of Classical architecture and arts, which I'm a member of, and it's based in uh, New York City in Manhattan. Their main purpose is to take students that are in uh, undergraduate and graduate courses in architecture and help them learn the classic design of architecture as opposed to just the modernity that they are getting in schools today. Unfortunately, the, the uh, schools, except for maybe Notre Dame and University of Virginia and a few like uh, Yale perhaps, have stopped teaching traditional classical architecture. Mm -hmm. And so we've lost, those students have lost their connection to history. And through the Institute of Classical Architects, we tend to uh, mentor those young students coming up, which helps them get a stronger grounding in uh, what architecture is really all about, because you won't get it with modern architecture completely. Well, uh, what I love, John, is that you've got a, your own soup, yeah. right? Yeah. Do. He's, he's got his own form of soup. He's, he's taking all of those elements of business practice and throwing them into the pot 
and giving all of those students an opportunity to sort of see something outside the square. So, I mean, who knew uh, when I, you know, when I invited all of you to join me today to talk about mentorship, I was thinking about your individual areas of expertise and the community impact that you have in the various different areas in which you lived. I never thought that there would be a connection between what you're all doing in the various different ways in which you're doing it. So mm -hmm. that's a really cool, I love how this, you know, started with Demetria with the history. And then we've moved to Priya with, you know, history and yet then taking it one step further and being more inclusive from a community aspect. And then we've sort of segued to John, who's sort of saying history and community is important. And if we don't try to learn from each other, we're kind of losing all of those really important elements of mentorship, which is really amazing. Now, Lynn, you know, you're a former educator. So is Priya, actually. Priya was a former mm -hmm. educator as well. And so was yeah. Demetria. Yes. Yeah. So you all have. And that was something else I didn't even think of when I, you know, put the invitation together. But as an educator, have you seen the benefits of mentorship between students and teachers as they learn and grow? Because, you know, you were a superintendent in a school board. So you saw not just, you know, kindergarten all the way up to grade eight. So you were, you know, interacting with various different individuals. And I'm sure from teachers, you know, when you first started a teacher, you're probably in your early 20s. And when you're retiring, you're in, you know, 50s or 60s. So you've got a huge age spread there, not only between the students, but the faculty. So give us a little bit of an idea as to the connection that you found between students and teachers. Well, okay, I'm still teaching at post-secondary and that's been, uh, uh, so the gambit actually goes right into adulthood now, which has been fascinating. So right. uh, a few things I want to land on there. Um, gone are the days where you walk into a classroom and your door is closed. It's just you, you can't function as an educator in that way because we teach whole beings now. And with every single whole being in your classroom, if you have 25 or 30 students in your class and they are all individual with individual strengths and skills, and needs. And mm -hmm. so as a teacher, you go in your, I remember my first year teaching, I'm sure everybody does. And oh, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> pretty. But the people that were there to mentor me at the time made the, made all the difference in the world. Uh, we can't be islands anymore. And if we are, we're really missing an opportunity of all the expertise and knowledge around us to help us with mental health, with, I mean, um, impoverished children, uh, right through adulthood. It, it, it's just it's incredible. So, and when you think about an educator, I just want to put the put the definition out there for me. An educator isn't necessarily just a teacher. I don't mean just a teacher, a teacher. They're teachers, they're principals, they're superintendents, they're secretaries, they're custodians. They are the examples. They are all of the people who are involved in education in their own way. And right. all of them come, all of us come with different levels of expertise and knowledge. And every single day, we learn something new about something. And so the power of collaboration, and I don't know, in Ontario, boards have formal mentorship programs for educators, for new teachers, for new principals, for people who are changing roles, moving in as a program consultant, for example. Um, but to me, and that's wonderful, that's fantastic. You are hooked up with someone that you're going to connect to. But I really like the informal piece where you're just walking across the hall or you're going out for coffee or saying, let's talk about what happened today. That's mm -hmm. the power of, of both of the two-way communication and a small right. group, whatever it looks like, uh, what can happen in the lunchroom is, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Well, I want to go back to what you said. For, so that's between educators, but the student educator piece is very interesting too, because we see ourselves as, um, no longer are we the people who impart knowledge on children, right? We're, we're learning from, we're learning from our students. You talk about technology, my goodness, what they're teaching us now, but it goes on and on. 
Uh, and when I think about mentorship with students, I mean, we have leadership programs where our students are actually becoming leaders for other students. We could talk about school councils and, mm -hmm. and, and, and all of the after school curricular activities. But again, it's the you're having trouble with calculus. Come on in. Let's do let's work. Let's do this together. Right. We can call that mentorship. You can call that collaboration. You can just call tell that, you know, I'm just helping a fellow student out. But it all makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. Sounded collaboration, like you said, um, over competition, however, it all links up. But boy, the power of networking, mentorship in education is I, I just I just can't imagine. I can't imagine walking what it was like walking into a classroom and closing the door. Right. Um, you know, I want to ask, um, because we have this background of education, I'm going to ask Priya, what was the what was the tipping point where you decided to leave education and move into entrepreneurship? Because all three of you have done that. Lynn's done it. Mm -hmm. Dimitri has done it. Um, Priya's done it. So was there a tipping point? What was the tipping point that took you from education to entrepreneurship? Um. So I taught for 25 years and technically I'm still, I'm, I'm still employed. I'm just on an unpaid leave of absence while I explore this, this uh, business. I think I just, um, I mentor, I still mentor students. Like my staff are in, I have three lovely young ladies who are in their twenties and I'm mentoring them on entrepreneurship and on um, using and digital marketing and connection and communication and having confidence and having a voice. So I feel like those parts I still have of right. being a teacher that that building connection, giving someone a safe place to explore, facilitating growth. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I just feel like this, I, I get to do it not talking about Shakespeare, which I also love, mm -hmm. but talking about something which I love even more, right. um, which is that, that clothing and creativity and allowing yourself to be, um, allowing yourself to be. That's right. basically it. Not yeah. not trying to mm -hmm. fit any sort of mold, mold but yeah. just um, saying, you know what, this is you could be absolutely anything. And what is that going to be? And I right. feel like I'm instead of just teaching that to kids, I am now doing that as well. You're living it. I'm living it. You're and living now it. I think I'm living it. Um, I'm teaching it more by example and right. um, than I was by cheerleading, which right. I still love to do. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe I'm just taking my own advice as a teacher. Right. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Demetria, what was the tipping point for you? So what what was the thing that sort of said to you, okay, I'm going to transition from being a, uh, a teacher into being an entrepreneur? Well, you know, it, it really starts a little further back. So when I was in education, from, well, when I was in education as a teacher, I really started to realize that I was more effective as a coach working with the kids individually one-on-one. -on -one. And so now I have moved myself into um, my own executive and leadership coaching business right. along right. with my writing. And right. so it is one of those things where, you know, I had that aha moment and I was like, let me take on and really do what I do best. And that's work with individuals and that's coaching them and leading them. And so, you know, as an empowerment writing coach and then as an executive and leadership development coach, you know, it gives me that opportunity so that I can actually, uh, you know, have that impact, you know, right. global impact right. Right. on individuals. And so when, you know, my mentors, when I was growing up, because as we discussed in the past, 
you know, I'm also a trained journalist and uh, one of my mentors was Sam Archibald, you know, and he was really instrumental in the Freedom of Information Act that we have today, you know, and then my playwriting professor when I was an undergrad, Sidney Goldfarb, he was an, an incredible mentor for me. And then in graduate school, you know, Richard Crevelin, you know, all of them are very powerful individuals in their own right as writers who have had an influence on me to this day in terms of how I write and how I view writing globally, right. you know, and the impacts that it has on the global economy and everything else out there. Well, thank you for sharing the actual names of the people who have obviously had a significant impact on you. I'm going to throw the question over to John now, because you mentioned that, you know, as an architect, it takes a long time before you feel confident in your skill. So was there an age or a stage in your career? Was it at 20 years? Was it at 10 years? Was it at 30 years? Was there a time in your career when you thought, okay, I feel like I have a good foundation. Now I can actually help to nurture the younger talent coming up. Was, was there a, a particular time in your career? I don't think there was a, a specific date or a specific year that this sort of thing happens. Uh, remember, I'm the opposite of the rest of your staff. I started out as an entrepreneur to create a business and, and work for yourself. It, that's entrepreneurship. It, it, the education part with younger people and the mentoring came afterwards and seemed to be this sort of natural tendency to help them. And it came from uh, architects offices bring in interns every year, younger students who are studying. And those interns work uh, alongside other architectural members of the team in order to learn what it's like to actually be in practice as opposed to just being in school. Practice is very difficult uh, in architecture because there's so many logistic and legal things that one has to deal with in uh, more so than most businesses. And consequently, that process uh, is very important to how they will turn out in terms of their knowledge base once they get old enough to set uh, their own parameters. Now, there are some architects in the world that started out with the, the confidence uh, that seemed to be way ahead of everybody else. A typical example was a genius like Frank Lloyd Wright. By the time he was, he wasn't even trained as an architect, and yet his architectural ability outperformed most people in the world. So that's the kind of guy you'd love to be. And we all think when we're in college, that's the guy you're I am. You're going to be like him. <laughs> yeah. The reality is, no, most of us are good, tough journeyman architects that slug it out every day and, and uh, hopefully design buildings that stick around and, and don't offend too many people. I think in the was <laughs> old saying, bad taste is timeless, you know, so. Yeah, so I think they look for you, right? Yeah. These yeah. students are actually, so what I love is that Demetria and Priya have done their own outreach. So you're reaching out to your communities That's to cool. provide platforms. And I think what's happened, John, in your industry is they actually seek you out. So as you build your, your portfolio of work, they right. say, ah, I want to be a little bit more like him. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, give John a call and see if he'll have a coffee with me and perhaps be a mentor. Now, I'm sorry. That's interesting because one of the people that I have mentored over the years is now actually almost taking over part of my practice, which is kind of exciting because that means he's got the he same. something, right? <laughs> which is good news. And yeah, that for sure. 
because, you know, most of us don't have children that become architects and because uh, they know how tough the business is. So right. you need people to uh, carry on the, the banner, so to speak. Right. Now, Lynn uh, has just written a whole series of children's books. And so you're reaching out to a whole new uh, target market. Now, is there a mentorship piece between the kids that may be reading the stories to their younger siblings or sharing those stories with each other as you, you know, roll out that that series? I'm so excited. I was interrupting there. I mean, <laughs> it is it has really blown us away. And I want to say my co-author is my niece. Um, and she never even thought about writing a book. So um, the mentorship there, it's gone both ways. It's really interesting. You know, I, I, I've written before a children's book series was new, but so just want to mention that in terms of a mentorship, because she is a social worker and I am an educator and she has taught me so much. And our illustrator, the three of us together, it's just it's it's just such a remarkable experience. We have such fun doing this. But, but yes, we didn't expect when we started to publish these children's books, that's all about emotional well-being for children and being proactive and teaching them skills when they're very, very young. It's now we're hearing the adults saying, thank you, because we didn't learn these things. We grew up in the suck it up buttercup generation. We didn't, you know, I didn't know the strategy actually to teach a strategic evidence-based strategy to my child so they could use it to problem solve and manage emotions in a positive way. And yeah, so older brothers and sisters are reading to their siblings, parents, grandparents are saying, thank you. We, we had no idea. That's not at all what we expected to happen. So it's been, it's been really quite remarkable. Thanks for asking that question. It's very exciting. So I'm going to I'm going to ask each of you to sort of say, because when you know, when I wrote my book on mentorship, I said there were three kinds of mentors, formal, informal and inspirational. And if you follow me at all on uh, social, you'll know that my inspirational mentor is Coco Chanel, because I just think, you know, she was really one of the very first for me, uh, female entrepreneurs that really thought outside the box. And what I loved about her story is at 70 years old, she was the comeback queen. So I think there's hope for us all, right? I mean, if you missed, <laughs> if you feel like you missed something at some point in your career, it's never too late. And so I loved her story. So if you could just really briefly, I'm going to ask each of you individually um, to name, not perhaps the, the person, because, you know, we don't want to uh, have any confidences, uh, you know, it, it fallen. But if there was someone who was formal, informal, or inspirational in your life, just say it was an informal mentor and this is what I learned, or it was a formal mentor-mentee relationship and this is what this was my takeaway, or it was you know someone inspirational that I never met, but I loved reading their stories and I learned something from them. So uh, John, why don't we start with you? Who would have been someone who inspired you in your career? I think it happened very early. Uh, I think I was in the seventh or eighth grade. I don't even remember the grade. Oh, wow. Well, like we're even before you started your career. That's that's exactly right. And the person was uh, Mrs. Smith, and she was uh, in the twilight of her years of teaching. She was a, a grade school teacher, and she was the art teacher. And um, I was, you know, slogging through the art courses like everybody else, and I guess I showed some talent. And she turned to me one day and she said, you know, you should become an architect. Oh, wow. And I sort of thought, well, that would be kind of cool. And then I kept thinking, no, but I want to be a, you know, brain surgeon. So um, like most kids, you, you, you didn't want to be a fireman, policeman. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and I'm a brain surgeon. So anyway, 
um, later on in life, uh, when it was time to go to university and college, <clears throat> um, that came back to me and it was, maybe I should become an architect. I still like to draw and sketch and I do that every day. And uh, so her inspiration at such a young age didn't even show up until probably 15, 20 years later. Isn't and then cool. it, it uh, changed my life's direction completely. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. So all of those teachers out there, you see how, how influential you can actually be and you don't even know it. Um, what about you, Priya? What, what, who would have made an impact at some point in time in your life? So I was trying to think of what would have made me get to where I am today because I've had so many mentors in education. But I have to say my parents, and they're gonna, I'm going to have to tell them to watch this because I don't think I give them <laughs> shout-outs often enough. Um, my dad, annoyingly, every time I achieved something, would be like, that's great. You know what you could do? And, and, you know, kind of say, you know, basically I took it as a child as do more, do better. Right. But, you know, now that I'm, I'm here in this part of my journey, I think it's, he was pointing out how limitless things are. Right. And, um, you know, just because you've reached some sort of a level doesn't mean there's not room to take it one step further. Sure. So, I, I am going to have to call him after this and thank him. <laughs> um, and then I think the other one would be my mother. Now, we never had that much money, um, but my mom loved wearing saris and um, didn't didn't have enough occasions for her to doll up and, and wear saris. And I remember her looking at her saris and not just telling me about the colors, but telling me about the quality. And, um, you know, and then when, when it got time to make the blouses, she was very particular about her blouses. She said, no, if you're going to get a blouse, it always has to have this much of an inseam because you're going to need to have room to grow. And it has to be lined because silk is not very strong when you wear it in a blouse shape. And she, even though we didn't have a lot of money, these were things that she wasn't going to budge on. Right. I would rather have less than have lower quality and have... Um, and not have meticulous construction. That is part of what I want to have for myself, my own version of self-care. And uh, at the time, as a child, lots of eye rolling from me. Sure. Um, but I think now that did stick with me. You yeah. know, I, I understand that. it's I can treasure a fabric and also want it to be the very best thing it can be so that it can enrich my life. Um, so yeah, very impactful. Textbook answer. That's yeah, my parents. that's very impactful. Demetria, who would you say you mentioned some wonderful uh, folks that yeah. throughout your your educational career? But is there one one particular person? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, there there is a, a different person, and this was a teacher of mine. I really got involved in theater um, when I was in high school, and he really helped me to under, to really fall in love with theater. And so that's when my whole passion started. And this is more of a, he was more of an inspirational mentor to me. And I remember working on a production and I just, I wasn't getting the, what I needed to do. And so he pulled me aside and, you know, and he said, Demetria, what we have here is failure to communicate we weren't having that communication there was a block there and you know and obviously that's like a line from cool hand luke and the whole paul newman thing and etc 
And, but I'll never forget that because once we had that conversation and I was able to really understand and see what it was that he was wanting me to do so that I could move forward with this aspect of the project and, and all of that, you know, it just really turned our relationship, you know, that mentorship you know, from being at a lower level to really a higher level and someone that I have always respected for the work that he did within the theater and his love and appreciation for the theater. And when I think about my career as, you know, the love of theater, it really began with him and his mentorship and really taking me under his wing and being able to understand, not just about the, it was more on the uh, the the hands-on, I was more stage group, you know, right. technical theater, mm -hmm. but then that really enhanced my writing. And well, so I have that full circle appreciation and through that mentorship, that's what really has helped me get to where I am today and my love of theater and writing. Oh, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Now, Lynn, what, what would be your, um, the person who's had the most impact that you feel on your career at this stage? I appreciate being last. <laughs> I've had some time. I had, I had so many names and faces going, going before me. So, you know, very similar to what John and, and uh, Priya and Dimitri have said, but I'm going to bring it back to my teacher librarian in elementary school. I'll say the name of the school, uh, St. Ursula in McGregor, Ontario. <laughs> And uh, I was always one of those kids that was immersed in Nancy Drew mysteries. I had it. I had it. I was an avid reader. And in grade seven, she put out a writing contest. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the standards. Blah, blah, blah. So I wrote a book, my very first book called Our Family House. And my mom, my mom's been gone 20 years, but boy, she's right up there with the top of my mentors. My mom, I did the illustrations and my mom typed back then, you know, type, type, yep. she typed the book. and. Yeah. And, uh, and I won first, second, and third place. I don't think there were any other entries, but <laughs> first, second, and third place. And I got to go to lunch with her. And she really, I wish I'd gone back to that library after I left and scooped that book because yes, I didn't have exactly. it today. Um, but my love for writing, I think, I think that positive reinforcement and just, and there, there was my book now in the library for everyone to read and um, my mom being part of it along the way. It's just, uh, and then I, I took writing through secondary school. Uh, Mr. Geringer was my, my creative writing teacher back then. I, I think that that's where my passion for writing began. And I, and I journaled, I journaled, I've journaled all my life you know, mm -hmm. since, uh, since the beginning of high school. So yeah, another teacher. So here we go. We have a lot of there common, common yeah. ground there and, and a mom too there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. it's to sort of wrap up our discussion and kind of weave the thread through everything that we've shared. And I, my heartfelt thanks to each and every one of you for sharing some of those wonderful personal antidotes. If you had to provide one word that you would use to describe mentorship for those in our viewing and listening audience who are thinking about this whole idea of being a mentor mentee, what would be your one word? And I'm going to start with John. What's your one, one word to describe mentorship? Rewarding. Ah, that's excellent. And Priya? I think connection. Okay. Demetria? I wanna say the first thing that came to mind was powerful. Okay, and Lynn? I'm going to put a dash in mine so it becomes one word, two-way. 
goes both ways. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's really fantastic. Well, you know, I would really, really very much, my heartfelt thanks to each and every one of you, because, you know, this truly is live and unscripted. We never know where the conversation is going to go, but we had a topic that we wanted to discuss. And I think what we've demonstrated really well today is that mentorship is about sharing experiences. Mm -hmm. And each and every one of you have shared some really wonderful personal experiences that I know will resonate with someone in our viewing and listening audience. So I really, my heartfelt thanks to each and every one of you for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you thank for you. having us. Thank you. Thank you. To those who have joined us today, I'd like to thank you for tuning into this edition of Keeping It Real, where we introduced you to the concept of mentorship while also giving you a little bit of insight into the person behind the logo. If you'd like to connect with one of our panel guests, you'll find their contact information in the description portion below in each feature. I'm Trish Tonai, founder and host for the series. And if you're interested in sharing your business story, visit our website at shareyourstories.online. Thanks again, and we look forward to meeting you next time when we share another great idea.